Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. If you celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you had a good one. Um, if not, at the very least, you have some good time with family, friends. You know, like I mentioned before, it's good to spend time with family, especially in these challenging times when, due to COVID, you know, we have been in our homes, a lot of times, you know, alone. It definitely has been challenging for our children uh, with school and stayed at home. So I hope that at least you had some good times. Before we get started, remember that Let's Talk Micro, it's available on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Pandora. Whatever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. If you have any questions, any episode suggestions, I also have an email address, which is Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, at Outlook.com. So please feel free to email any suggestions that you might have. And follow me on social media. I definitely like to post pictures of organisms. Um, not a lot of information because I reserve that to the, for the podcast. But at the very least, nice visuals of different bacteria. Um, so it's, it's really nice. So go ahead and follow. And also any suggestions to social media, please feel free. So we had a really good episode. Our last, the last episode was really good, right? You know, you've been hearing about the Molotov here, Molotov again. So we finally talked, and I like to say we, but it's myself. I finally talked about Molotov. And today, that's what we're going to continue doing. I will continue. You know, I talked about a Spectra, and I will um, talk more about that. So if you didn't listen to the last episode, please go ahead and do so. But I'm going to give you a quick summary. So what is Molotov? So Molotov, like I've mentioned before, it stands for Matrix Assisted Laser Desorption Ionization Time of Flight Mass Spectrometry. So this technique, you know, you're going to use a laser and you excite the chemical functional groups that are included in the proteins of an organism. And that's how it works. You're going to apply your sample. You're going to apply a matrix which when you point the laser absorbs heat and it's going to transfer it to the sample ionizing it and then these ions they are separated on a tube which is referred to as the flight tube and then you measure these ions with a detector the lighter the ions the faster they will travel in the tube so with this a spectrum is created as a mass spectrum so this is a, ma uh, a type of mass spec using a mass to charge ratio and then once you have this spectrum you're going to compare it to known spectra of bacteria and fungi that's already stored in a database and that's how you identify that's how you obtain an identification i mentioned two systems that are used in clinical micro which have the broker which is the moldy biotyper and then biomero 
which as you know, you're familiar with the Vitec, that's pretty popular in a lot of labs. Biomero has the Vitec MS, which is the one that I went over. So I talked about its components. It's a very simple setup. So you have a slide with three sections or acquisitions, and each section has 16 spots for samples and one for your calibrator. Your calibrator is a strain of QC of uh, E. coli. You apply the calibrator the same way you will apply your samples. So using a one micro little loop, you grab your colony, you spread it on the circle, and then don't wait too long. The company says you, know, you don't want your colonies to dry, and then you apply the matrix, right? That's a very long name. If you want to hear it again, go ahead and listen to the previous episode. But it's abbreviated CHCA, or the Chica. So you apply that matrix by pipetting it, which is 0.1 microliters. You let it dry, and then you load your slide. And like I mentioned, that matrix is going to ionize your sample, which then those ions are going to be measured. So that's how it works. Um, the procedure for yeast, it's a little bit, it's very similar. But however, before you add your matrix, you add formic acid. And it's provided by the company. You let that dry, and then you add your matrix. And that's what I'm saying, that if you have a lot of samples, it's good practice to start with your yeast first. That way your formic acid starts drying. By the time you're done, you add your matrix. And then once everything is dry, you can load your slide. If you don't have that many samples, then it is recommended, you know, talk to your coworkers if someone else is going in. Let them know via like a paper or communication that your sample still needs the matrix and then they can do it for you. You don't want to be wasteful because I mentioned that the acquisition, whether you load 16 samples or you do one after once you load that slide on the instrument, that acquisition, you cannot use it anymore. Not, by not being wasteful, different techs are on the, the micro lab, because I mentioned this is an expensive instrument, so you probably have a very high volume lab, which that means that it's split in benches, wound bench, respiratory, urine. So another tech might have some samples. So if you have two or three samples to put on your slide, then someone else can come in and actually, you know, add more. So that's one thing, you know, it is not good to be wasteful. So I mentioned that a spectrum is produced, a mass spectrum based on the mass to charge ratio. And it is compared to the database, right? So that's how you get that ID. If you put your sample, you know, the spectrum, it's that of an E. coli that's stored in the database. Then your ID comes back as an E. coli. I mentioned that it works most of the time. So what are the limitations of this? Well, um, there's a disclaimer that it does not distinguish between E. coli and Shigella. But I mean, that would end all colony morphology. Um, that's, that's a pretty easy fix. It also cannot differentiate between Acromobacter denitrificans and Silosocidans. As you know, sometimes when uh, those of you that work with the Vitec, 
when you load a sample, right? Sometimes, you know, it gives you something called a low discrimination that it cannot, you know, make a determination whether it's one bacteria or the other. And it recommends some tests to do, right? I think sometimes, you know, you have seen like that famous um, Aerococcus versus Granulicatella and it puts like recommended test PYR. You have seen low discrimination between Proteus mirabilis and vulgaris and recommends indole, clep, clepsilon pneumoniae, and uh, enterobacter erogenes, and recommends, it recommends a urea test. So you see this, like it cannot make a determination, and it's giving you some options. So with this, with the achromobacter, it's always going to give you, and I'm, and I'm talking about the Vitec MS, it's going to give you a low discrimination between silosocinins and deletrificants. So in that point, that point in time, you can go ahead and report your organism as Acromobacter species, Acromobacter species, and then perform an ID via another method, like let's say the Vitec, or I don't know if you have Microscan, depending on what your lab, your lab has. It also cannot um, differentiate between subspecies of Streptococcus dysgalactiae. Right, so it will give you like two subspecies, but in this case, it is still a Streptococcus dysgalactiae, so that's perfectly fine to release. So you can go ahead and just release that one as is. Another um, limitation let's say that you cannot differentiate between the members of the Burkholderia sepatia complex, so. It can give you like a you know, low discrimination between Burkholderia multivorans versus uh, Burkholderia vietnamensis. Um, at that point in time, I mean that's gonna be your what your facility says, but it is it's gonna you can release that as a Burkholderia sepatia complex. You can also the same thing happens with the Enterobacter cloacae complex. It gives you like you know low discrimination between. Uh, Enterobacter absuriae, Enterobacter hormaki, Enterobacter cobi. So in that case, you can just release it as Enterobacter cloagi complex. So it's just like this spectrum, you know, it's, it's just very, you know, they're very similar. So it will give you a low discrimination between those choices. But I mean, it is a complex, so you can go ahead and release it as a complex. The most important thing is like, for example, with the achromobacter, in that case, you cannot say achromobacter silosocidans complex or denitrificans complex. So in that case, you will actually have to do another method of ID. But in the meantime, you can release it as achromobacter species. So that's, those are some of the uh, limitations that it has that is going to low discriminate. I mentioned in the previous episode that also when your sample is very mucoid, it might fail. The ID doesn't give you an identification. Um, the company recommends for you to with a swab, remove some of that mucoid, mucoid, mucus, and then um, put your colony in. And I mentioned my method that I stick the loop and just wiggle a little bit. And that kind of just removes some of that mucus and then I just load my slide. Another thing that is good with mucoid, maybe load two spots, which the instrument will give you an option to do. So instead of single spotting, which is the way that normally 
that will do it. You can do a double spotting. So you add a spot, add you know, a colony on each, add matrix on each for bacteria, you know, have a yeast, add a colony on each, formic acid on, on each, dry, and then matrix. Um, it's also like the double spotting is good when you're working on your technique. So maybe if the first time, if it's the first time that your lab has mauled it off, might be a good idea to do double spotting until everyone gets their technique down and then you reduce it to single, single spotting. But having said that with the mucoid, it's always a good suggestion to do double spotting. You know, since it can get finicky with mucoid samples, it's best, you know, if one spot fails, then you get another one. But follow the recommendations about maybe doing the swap or removing some of that mucus. Or you can do my little trick about the wiggling. And it works. Another limitation that the instrument um, has, but this one is not, it's, it's not a quick fix, but it's a long-term, it can be fixed. It's like some organisms on the database, they show it an N, which is for like a non-validated organism. So that's, that's easily fixed in the way that you can just validate the organisms by running them on another method. And then once you get to a certain number, it is okay to release that ID. Um, the challenge might be that maybe you might not get that organism that often. So to get to the point where it is fully validated, it might take you some time. But that happens with like the, one of the easier ones was like a Aerococcus urinae that used to come with the N. Um, you get that with the elderly in urine cultures. So that one might be easier to validate. Another thing with the organisms have the N, because this system, you know, they connected with your LIS in your lab. So once you accept the ID, it, it will cross over to your LIS system. So you can accept it and report it. Um, when you have organisms that have the N, they don't cross over. But if your laboratory has validated it, you know, let's say you, you keep getting, you run that sample in the model, you get that Aerococcus, you know, three, four times, and then every time you set it up on the Vitec, then once you get to that number that your lab has established, then you can just type the ID, use documents saying Molotov ID as, you know, so-so, documented in your workup, and then you can release that ID. I mean, even though it might not cross over, it stays on the patient's file. So that's your proof if anything ever comes to question about where did ID come from. You know, it is it is in the in the patient's file that that you have. Those IDs just stay there. The same thing as susceptibilities. You know, it's a Myla, which is the system that Biomero has that communicates, you know, you can collect your virtual blood instrument, you can connect your Vitec. So they all talk to each other and then they talk to your LIS system. So now that I mentioned the limitations, what are some pros and cons of this? Well, definitely getting a faster ID. You know, like I mentioned, you don't need, you. it takes a few minutes, depending on how many samples you have. It's definitely faster 
I mean, even if you have a full slide with 48 samples, you can get it in an hour and change. I mean, depending on the time the instrument, you know, it warms up, you know, it spots each one with the laser, and then your IDs come across, provided that nothing goes wrong, you get about, it takes about an hour. So it's definitely a faster turnaround for IDs. Like I mentioned before, an ID on the Vitek can take four to five hours. And if you combine that with the fact that maybe there are no readers on the other shifts, that ID won't get released until the next day. That's definitely very helpful and also it helps the physicians or the, you know, the providers to know what kind of organisms they have. I mean, as you know, some organisms are more resistant than others. You know, most, you know, enterobacterialis, um, E. coli doesn't have any intrinsic resistance. I mean, then some of the others, they do some, whereas like Pseudomonas, um, Stenotrophomonas definitely has a lot of intrinsic resistance. So it is good for the provider to have that information out there. So like I mentioned, it will definitely be out before the end of your shift, depending on how many samples you have. It also, besides um, being a very simple setup, I mean, Vitek is very simple as well. However, you don't need that much sample, right? So that's a very big pro. Depending on which colonies, and I like to compare because the Vitek, I'm familiar with the two and I work with it. You know, if you have a staff or one of those like E. coli, maybe you need, you don't need as many colonies. When you have some of the smaller organisms, like your strep viridans, your strep anginosis, smaller colonies, um, you need more to make the McFarland suspension, right? Which is the standard of turbidity. On the Vitek, typically for like gram negative and gram positive, it's like a 0 0.5 to 0.63 McFarland standard. So you need a fair amount of colonies depending on the size. So with the Molotov, if you have, you know, two or three colonies that are good, you can go ahead and use that. I mean, the smaller ones are a little more difficult, but you still don't need as many as you would need to make a McFarland suspension. So that's really helpful. And then you can produce that ID. Another pro is that some organisms you don't, um, perform susceptibilities on, depending on the source. Like for example, on the urine bench, you don't do susceptibilities on, let's say on yeast. So an ID is sufficient and that's it. Um, you don't do susceptibilities on, and the urine bench on Staphylococcus saprophyticus. So just by ID in it, you're done. So it saves you a day of work and then you're done with that culture. Whereas before, let's say, I mean, Staph Sapper, it has a very distinctive morphology, but if you're a fairly junior tech, you're getting started, you might not recognize the morphology. So in those days, let's say if you had the Vitek, you're like, okay, well, I have to set up a GPI, gram-positive ID card, and then set up a susceptibility card in the chance that I'm wrong, and it is not a Staph saprophyticus. And then the next day you find out. And then if it's a stop saprophyticus, then you don't release susceptibility. So you kind of wasted a car. So with the Molotov, you just, okay, put the colony there, matrix, dry. Oh, stop saprophyticus, you're done. And then another, uh, the yeast, 
like I mentioned, the same. If you're go if you were gonna do an ID on the Vitec for a yeast, you will need a very heavy McFarlane suspension, like a 1.8 to 2.2. So that means that if your isolated, you know, it's not pure, you don't have that many colonies, you will have to sub it out. Then the next day, set up the ID card, and then it takes 18 to 24 hours for that ID to be done on the Vitec. So then the next day you can release that ID. So that's a whole two days of work. Whereas with a few colonies, you set up on your Molita, right? Colony, formic acid, dry, matrix, dry, put it in, and you're done. The same is true for anaerobes. You typically don't do susceptibilities on anaerobes. Without the Molitov, you will have to first do a challenge on it, right? Find out whether, which is an error tolerance test. Find out if it's a facultative anaerobe versus an obligate anaerobe. And then you need a very heavy suspension to perform an ID on the Vitec or to perform one of those rapid ANA kits that will give you an ID within four hours. You will need a lot of growth. So then you sub it out, do your tolerance, then the next day maybe it's ready. And then you, four hours for that rapid kit or a whole day to get an ID. So that's another two days of work. Where, whereas you are working on the anaerobe bench or you're working on your wound bench and you're opening your anaerobes, oh, you know, it looks like an anaerobe, put it on the Molotov, one or two colonies, and you are done. So it definitely saves supplies and it saves time that you can use on other things, right? So those are some very, very big pluses. You know, another one is Aerococcus urinae on the elderly. You want to make sure you see it before, if there's no Molotov, you know, you do a gram stain, you're like, okay, let me see, maybe it's clusters, maybe it's not. You know, on indirect smears, sometimes you cannot appreciate the morphology. So you're like, okay, let me do a PYR, it's negative, okay, I still need to rule it out. I have to do an ID. Maybe I don't have enough, I have to sub it out. Then the next day I do my ID, and then the next day I find out. So two days of work right there. Whereas you see the colonies growing, you know, everything matches. You do your gram stain, it's a gram positive cocci, put it on the Molotov, and then you're done. So with all these, it definitely saves you time and supplies. And you're done. You put the information out there, the provider gets it, and then the patient is treated. Definitely a lot of big pluses. Now, having said all the wonderful stuff that the Molitov has, I also have to talk about the cons, right? So these are things that I have observed. I think sometimes, you know, it promotes a little bit of laziness. Well, like I mentioned with the pros, definitely a faster turnaround time. So that's what I was getting at, you know, and then saving supplies and time. With these, you know, like I mentioned, it does promote a little bit of laziness in the sense that I don't want to offend anyone. I think I have seen sometimes on the, on the younger techs now that sometimes the mentality is why, you know, why do all these biochemicals if I can get an ID? Well, that has a very simple 
answer by doing your biochemicals and doing all that work, Gramstein biochemicals, that's how you get familiar with the organisms, right? I always like to say to students and to other techs, by the time you set up something on an instrument, you should have a pretty good idea of what it is to the point that you almost know, you're just confirming. Because things can happen, and I'll talk about it in a little bit. So it, it promotes that people don't want to do the test that we used to do before because they're going to get an answer. I have also heard sometimes, you know, text setting up both methods because they don't want to do a gram stain. You know, like setting a method for yeast, setting a method for bacteria. And that, that is definitely not okay. You don't, you don't go on fishing expeditions trying to find out what it is. We have our tools and we do our work properly. You know, this is very serious work. So that's what it promotes. So at the same time, by promoting the little bit of laziness, then techs don't get familiar with the organisms and things can go wrong. Let's say if someone else is doing your Molotov for you, they might not know which colony you mean. Then they set it up. You get an ID. And at the same time, since you don't know what it is, you make a mistake by releasing that ID. What about if you went ahead and without realizing, scanned the wrong patient ID? And then you get the wrong ID of the organism and you release it because you don't know. So you should always get familiar with this organisms, right? You know, still do your strep typing, do your PYRs, do your, your indole, your oxidase. Study these organisms so you know them. Anything goes wrong, you know that, wait a minute, this is not what I was expecting. If something goes wrong, you get the wrong ID, there's something that you were not expecting, then you're like, okay, you can backtrack yourself and say, well, I did this, this, this. So this shouldn't be the case. So that's my that's what I'm I have noticed that it, it promotes. Um, but that needs to be addressed in a as a manager, you know, the lab level about making sure that the technologists they know the organisms, they have a good grasp of what it is. I mean, and that's why competencies get done and stuff. Just to assess that everyone is on the same page, we're following procedure. And then we're doing what we're supposed to. But having said that, um, definitely the the benefits, you know, they're really good. You know, the the patients doing things properly, releasing the proper IDs, the patients will benefit because they get that that ID out there faster. And at the same time, we are saving supplies, even though from what I'm reading, the initial cost is higher. But eventually you do save money, you know, by doing you know, faster turnaround time, maybe ramifications, you know. Patient can get treated faster, they get better faster. Perhaps the hospital stays reduced. So it has a lot of good benefits. But having said that, as microbiologists, we need to make sure that we know what we're doing. You know, use our textbooks, use our references use other texts that know that I've been doing it longer. Get familiar with the biochemicals, with how the organism looks like typically. Of course, you know, we have atypical presentations, but overall, most of the organisms, you know, they're the same morphologies. So with repetition and time, um, gram stains and biochemicals, we definitely learn how they look. 
and that makes us better at our work. But that attitude about I'm not going to do it because I'm going to find out the answer. Many things can go wrong along the way and that can potentially harm our patients. And that is unacceptable. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. This concludes the talk about the Maldi-Tov. I hope you got a better understanding of it. I hope you learn more about it. I hope you enjoy listening about it. I sure enjoy talking about it. Just remember, always use all the tools that you have for your job. Do the best job you can and bring that motivation, that passion for it. This is wonderful work and we help out the patients so much. So please, use all the resources you have. Now you have this podcast as a supplemental tool as well. So use it, ask questions. So stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.